0: Good morning. It is good to be here and share the Word of God with you. And if you are newer to our church, uh, like Sammy said in his introduction this morning, just want to let you know that in our sermons, we do something called exegesis, where we go verse by verse and it ex- it's explained in the way that we see the author for its intended audience. And so that is also then applied to us in our lives today. The exegesis comes from the notion of mining. And so when we do a sermon, when we have a sermon, it's like mining the text and finding the treasures that God has in store for us. So it has been an exciting journey for us to go through the book of Hebrews. And we continue on with Hebrews 11 this Sunday as well. So as we begin the sermon, let us start with a prayer. Father of lights, illumine in our hearts, your word, so that it may change us, shape us, and mold us to be more like you in accordance with your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us start to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23 to 31. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23 to 31. If you have a pew Bible, you can find it on page 948. When you have found it, please rise for the reading of God's holy word. Hear now the word of the Lord. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, he kept the Passover and and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So I mentioned the way we do preaching and the preaching style of this church and who we ask to come up and speak. And this exegetical style of going verse by verse has been something very exciting for me personally, has uh, revealed to me things that I would have never guessed unless you continue to study and mind the Scriptures. And the Scriptures are like a beautiful gem where you can see it, and as you continue to study it with each turn and with each dimension, you see another brilliance shining through, reflecting off the gem. And I think that's the beauty of us learning from the Scriptures. Because week by week as we learn from it, whether we know it or not, we are also being changed by the brilliance of God's Word. Our hearts are being changed, our minds are becoming more refined, and our spirits are elated when it comes to the Word of God. And so I praise God for giving us His mercy as we listen to the Word of God. By his faithfulness and by his Holy Spirit, we are able to understand. And so as we come to the 11th chapter of Hebrews, we are continuing to explore the exemplars of the faith, sort of like the Hall of Fame of faith. And in this third section, we have a brief narrative of Moses followed by what happened with Joshua as the leader of the people of God. And so today, because we have a larger group, I thought I might just separate it into points. It might be easier for us to discuss. And so I have seven points. And each point, if you look at the text, starts with by faith. And these are common themes. There is a common theme within each point. But again, these points are to show us the characteristics or the qualities and dimensions of faith so that we can learn from and follow and mimic these heroes. So let's get to it. Verse 23, we have a lot to get through. It says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. We saw in Exodus that the people of Israel, the Hebrew people, were getting larger and stronger Pharaoh and the people of Egypt decided to enslave God, the people of God, rather. And they wanted to enslave the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But as we read in Exodus, the more they oppressed them, the more they enslaved them, the more the Israelite people would multiply and even spread abroad. The enslaving of the people of God had an opposite effect of what they wanted for them. They wanted to diminish them, they wanted them to be crushed. But they would instead multiply and grow. And that's when Pharaoh came up with the most malevolent decree. He would say, "You need to, we need to kill all the males that would be born to the Hebrews." And he knew that a way to kill or a masterful way to destroy a nation, to destroy a people is to just get rid of all the males. And so he would first try to do this surreptitiously through the midwives. But the midwives wouldn't kill the babies. They feared God and would not do this heinous act. And so when his covert plan failed, he would openly declare that all Hebrew males must be thrown into the Nile. That's when we get to Moses being born. When Moses was born, the writer says that it was by faith Moses' parents hid the baby for three months. So, what were the circumstances surrounding them deciding to go against Pharaoh's royal decree? Well, first it says that they saw he was a beautiful child. If you read in the text in Exodus chapter 2, in your Bibles, this is a fine child. So, what does that mean, you might ask? How is that special? Don't all parents think their baby is beautiful? Don't all parents think that their babies are fine? And that's what I thought, too, until I had my firstborn. People were like, did you cry, Pastor Eugene, when you saw your daughter? I was, you know, to be honest, I was in shock because she looked like an alien, and I thought I thought I would, I would be this beautiful, angelic thing that I would just behold and want to cu- cradle in my arms. But her head was as long as her torso. And I was like, is this normal? And I was more concerned about the baby than I was in awe. And the nurse and doctor was like, oh, don't worry, don't worry, it'll go back to normal. I was like, I hope so, because that's a rough life if the head is as long as your torso. And I found it interesting that on two separate occasions when the doctor and nurse was not there at the same time, the nurse would go to my wife and say that the baby was so beautiful and that she should have another baby right away. And I was like, what? I mean, why would you say something like this? that? Is that something that they train nurses to say? Because she just had her baby. Aren't you worried about her recovery? So I was very worried about my wife's recovery. And then when the nurse left and the doctor came separately, he saw the baby. He's like, the baby is so beautiful you need to have another baby right away. And then my wife is just all discombobulated. She's like, what is going on? And for for me, I was like, I thought I was looking at an alien. I was like, hope she goes back to a human face soon. And so what does it mean when the Bible is talking about Moses' parents seeing that the child that they had given birth to was a beautiful child? Well, there is a well-established tradition of interpretation from Philo and before that beautiful or fine in the Septuagint, it's Asteas. It meant an extraordinary appearance. And that extraordinary appearance they took as a visible sign of God's elected favor. And you can see this from the writer of Hebrews as well. Otherwise, of all the things that he could have mentioned, why mention that Moses was good-looking? What's the point of that? But when they saw that the exceptional, extraordinary face, the beauty, the fineness of the baby, they witnessed it, they took it as a sign, and they had faith that this child would have God's protection and favor. And realizing that this was a sign from the Lord, it gave them readiness and courage to risk their own lives to preserve this baby. Their faith gave them the capacity to overcome the fear of Pharaoh and trust in God instead. So what's the first point? The first point is, faith gives you the capacity to overcome fear of even the gravest of circumstances. Faith gives you the capacity to overcome fear of even the gravest of circumstances. And we can see that Moses' parents' faith gave way to Moses being born, and Moses living to be one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. And I think this first point is brief, but it's powerful, and it's heavy because the first point is the overarching theme for the rest of the verses. So let's move on to the next point. In verse 24 to 26, it says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Now when Moses grew up, it says, He refused to be associated with the royal family. This royal family had all the power, all the wealth, and all the privilege, no doubt the most of all these things in the world at the time. Egypt was the most powerful nation in the world, and he was in the royal family. But he would rather identify himself with his own people who were brutally enslaved in Egypt. And the, he, the writer of Hebrews rightly gives us the contrast of these two positions. Not only was he in the royal family, but by being the son of Pharaoh's daughter, which is explicitly mentioned, but by being the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he would have been heir to the throne. Heir to the throne contrasted with being a slave. In Exodus 1, it says, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. And this is to put the slavery in context. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. And all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. It's not just that they wanted the slaves to benefit themselves. They wanted these slaves to be ruthless to them, to specifically and pointedly oppress them, to push them down because they hated them. This is a very particular kind of enslavement where it is personal. It's not just that you benefit me, it's I hate you. And so he would rather, the contrast is there, be associated with the slaves of Egypt than be associated to the throne. Why would he do that? How can anybody do that? Why would anybody give up royalty to be mistreated and abused as a slave? And here the faith of Moses reveals something to us. There is a momentary safety in sin. And that's what life in Egypt symbolized they would brutally enslave the people of God and their leader would even command that their males be sacrificed to their gods because that's what throwing their babies in the Nile would mean. Because The Nile River was a god in itself. It's an Egyptian god. And so the royal decree to throw the male babies into the Nile was a religious command as well. But it was a command that went against God. You see... Even generations prior, there was a man named Joseph. And when Potiphar's wife would make advances to Joseph, he would yield and refuse these advances. And he would rather choose to be mistreated, suffer unjustly, even to the point and threat of execution and life imprisonment, than to indulge in that momentary pleasure. Why? Before we get to the clarifying verse in 26, we are shown this is a reminder that we must not miss here. The choice between the present enjoyment of pleasure is put, pitted against the present mistreatment of what is right. We are show, shown that it is the choice between present enjoyment of pleasure versus present mistreatment of doing what is right. This kind of calls us back to actually the previous chapter. In Hebrews chapter 10, 25, it says, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It wasn't easy for the people of God to meet. There are a million reasons not to come to church and meeting with God's people is choosing hardship with God's people. And that is faith that is distinguished and brought out in Moses. Commentators could not escape the correlation between 1025 of not meeting in church. And now Moses being shown that he must associate himself with the people of God. He didn't just say from afar I'm a Hebrew, but I'm going to stay in this palace. He had to go to them and spend time with them and be mistreated with them. And that could not escape commentators, people who would read this text as they harken back to 10:25. There are a million reasons not to meet. And there is one reason to meet. And that's faith. And now for the clarifying verse in 26 to answer why. Why would you do that? So Moses rejected the treasures of Egypt. The treasures of Egypt symbolized an unlimited amount of wealth. So what could you possibly prefer over unlimited wealth. He preferred the greater wealth, it says in verse 26, in the reproach of Christ. That should give us pause. To associate yourself with Christ in the world will bring you reproach. Why would you do that? because he was looking to the reward. He rejected momentary pleasure and chose mistreatment, but his attention wasn't on the mistreatment. His attention was on the future eternal reward. He rejected the gods of Egypt, even with all the wealth that it had to offer him, and he chose the better eternal reward from the God of the Hebrews. So that's the second point. Faith has you look to a better reward. Verse 27. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Once you read this and you know Exodus, you might say, wait a minute, I know Exodus 2.14. It distinctly said that Moses was afraid. What do you mean he was not afraid? Is this contradicting what Exodus is saying? And some people are like, wait, wait, maybe it's referring to another time when God was taking his people out of Egypt, so that's when he wasn't afraid. So this portion is like fast forward 40 years? Well, I don't think so. I think it's exactly what you might be thinking. It's Exodus chapter 2. Because the narrative that's being presented to us is chronological. And then the verse after this mentions the Passover. So it can't be as they were leaving Egypt post-Passover that he was thinking that I'm not afraid of Pharaoh. This must have been before. So this time is most likely referring to the time when Moses would kill an Egyptian for mistreating a Hebrew man in Exodus 2.14. And this is what it says. I'm just going to read you uh, five verses from 11 to 15 to put 14 in context. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. So he was afraid. So what does it mean that he wasn't afraid? Well, we are shown here that fear can come to us, but through faith you are able to overcome that fear. So courage, you may have heard, this moniker, it's a cliche, that courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is not the absence of fear. What is it then? And then so many, many leaders have added something to the adage. Courage is not the absence of fear. It is the faith to overcome it, or it is the ability to endure. So how does faith give you that courage? Courage. How does faith do that in this third point? And it says here in the verse, by seeing him who is invisible. You see, when people give you that moniker, when people say courage isn't the absence of fear, that's great, it's true, it's it's a great line. But the emphasis that we see here isn't about overcoming fear, the emphasis isn't even about enduring. The emphasis is put on the continual seeing. Seeing what? Seeing the unseen God. This isn't talking about Moses being able to actually physically see what was invisible, but it is talking about a spiritual perception. So that means that Moses' departure from Egypt was not motivated by fear, but a perpetual spiritual gaze on God. Uh, during the summer school, there was a song that the children would sing and have motions to, and they would be very excited about this song, and it was called Counting on God. And the, verse, the, the chorus in that song says this, Joy unspeakable that won't go away, just enough strength to live for the day, so I never have to worry what tomorrow will bring, because my faith's on solid rock, and I'm counting on God, and then it continues to say I'm counting on counting on God, right? And then the children run around, and I, I didn't know what the motion was, and I still am a little hazy on what that motion is, but I think they ran up to me and they started counting with their fingers, right? I'm counting on God. Um, that's not what the counting is, so the motion's wrong. No, uh, it's it's cute, it's nice, right? I mean, obviously, we're not counting on God. That makes absolutely no sense. But it means that we're counting on God. Our faith is in God. That means our eyes are on God. If you count on someone, then you are depending on them. You are looking toward them. You are relying on them. And that's what it means to continually see God, it's a continual verb. It's a continuous verb. We are continually keeping our eyes on God, and that's point number three. Faith keeps your eyes on God. No matter how bad things get, what we are being exhorted to do is to keep your eyes on God. Verse 28. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Now we fast forward 40 years to the 10th plague that eventually sets the people of God free from bondage. All these things happened where he would be in Midian, he would get married, and then he would see the burning bush. God would show him what to do. He would take off his sandals, and then he would send them out with the staff, With Aaron going to Pharaoh, doing all these plagues, up to the 10th plague. This is a fast forward to there. And this is the fourth point in verse 28 that we see. Faith then, what does it mean that he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them? Faith is evidenced by the careful attention that is paid to the detailed instruction of God. I'll say that one more time. Faith is evidenced by the careful attention that is paid to the detailed instruction of God. And I'm going to qualify that. In Exodus chapter 12, this is the instruction that God gives Moses. Then, after they would sacrifice the lamb, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts at the side of the doors, and the lintel, which is the beam over the door of the houses in which they eat. So on the sides and on top of that door, they would put the blood of the lamb that was sacrificed. By faith, the people would keep. That's exactly what they did. They didn't say, you know what? It's just about having the right heart. If I have the right heart, who is anybody to judge? That's not the faith being exemplified here. This detailed instruction, they took to heart and they said, we want to follow every dot and tittle. That is the heart that they had. Where are we now? in our faith? Do we have the same kind of faith that the people of Israel had during Passover? Or are we given into? You know, it's so cumbersome. It's so tiring to think that there's so many laws and I have to follow it. Didn't Jesus just forgive us? Forget about all this. Let's throw away our burdens and live our life. As long as we're happy, don't you think God will be happy because we're happy? Is that the message that we hear? Is that what we think is the quality of faith? What happened with them following this instruction? They would do this specific instruction from generation to generation to generation until Jesus Christ would come. And John the Baptist would see him coming, and he would point and exclaim, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what it led up to. That's the crescendo of the Passover. There are those these days that would say the Old Testament laws and instruction don't matter anymore. We should, that we should even unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. But that's not what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. He's saying our faith dictates that we pay close attention to the law of God. Because while in the Old Testament their obedience pointed forward to Christ, our obedience now points back to Christ. And again, faith is evidenced by the careful attention that is paid to the detailed instruction of God because that points to Christ. Verse 29. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. When the people left Egypt, they got to the Red Sea. The people of Israel saw that Pharaoh was coming after them. Not just Pharaoh. He would take all his horses and chariots, and he was chasing them. He was going to run them over. And it says in Exodus that the people cried out to the Lord. And here... One of the most amazing miracles happen. There's a cute scene in the movie Bruce Almighty where the protagonist would have the powers of God and part the tomato soup that he was eating. While that's cute, the significance of the actual parting is far greater. The waters part. And it says they walk through the sea as if they were walking on dry ground. And when the Egyptians would try to cross as well, their wheels would get stuck. God would stir them up into a panic and frenzy, and then the Lord would close the waters over them, the Red Sea being their grave. They were all drowned. But here is the particular part I want to highlight in this event. In Exodus chapter 14, from verse 24, it says this. And in the morning watch, the Lord, in the pillar of fire and of cloud, looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavy, heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from, before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. The Lord was in the pillar of fire and of cloud, and it symbolized the Lord going before the people of God and fighting for His people against their enemies. That's the fifth point. Faith helps us move forward by the Lord going before us, fighting our enemies. Faith helps us move forward by the Lord going before us, fighting against our enemies. So here's the question for us. Why are you anxious about the path that you're on? By faith, we see that God clearly leads his people. Why are you afraid of what might come up behind you? By faith, we see that God fights for his people. Verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Now we fast forward again another 40 years, and we are here with Joshua. Although not mentioned by name, we already know he was a man of faith because chapter 4 was written about him. It's in Joshua chapter 6, it says this. Uh, they would go around this city, Jericho, and every day they would encircle it once, for six days. But on the seventh day, they would circle it seven times. They would just go around the city. And this city was a tremendous city. It was a powerful city. It was a city worth reckoning. Spies would go and be like, we can't touch these guys. These guys are like the Nephilim. They're huge. They're giants. We can't touch them. But God would give them this command. You know what? I want you to circle the city. And then on the seventh day, circle it seven times. And then blow your trumpet, and shout. And this is what it says in Joshua 6, verse 20. After they would circle it seven times, it says, so the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. So what is the sixth point? Faith gives us the readiness to act in accordance with God's instruction. Faith gives us the readiness to obey God. So people would ask me a lot of questions as well, especially concerning this church. You know, things about elders or our extension, how we do buildings, should we lease, should we get a building, should we buy a building, and all these things. How do you know when to do this or that? How do you know what the right answer is? Wisdom? Is it wisdom, Pastor Eugene, that you ask for? Yes, of course. To a certain degree, it is wisdom. But in large part, what we are being shown here is the quality of faith. By faith, you are ready when the opportunity to meet here arises, To worship in a particular manner shows up. To raise up leaders, etc. All these things occur. By faith, when the opportunity comes, you are ready. And by faith, you also are ready to go through seasons in your life. Marriage, children, raising a family. What we are being shown here, it's, it's a faith issue. As you obey God in faith, you will be ready to receive the reward that God has promised. Faith makes you ready to obey God. And here's the last verse in verse 31. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Of the exemplars of the faith, Rahab, outside of Sarah is the only other woman mentioned. And it's not just Rahab. It's Rahab the prostitute. These are two notable things that are highlighted for us to also take in and learn from. And this is not to give prostitution a pass in any way, but the label was there for Rahab to distinguish her to Joshua. It wasn't just any Rahab. It was Rahab the prostitute. But for us, it serves as a reminder from whence she came. Rahab the prostitute gave assistance and shelter to Joshua's spies who were sent out to gather information or intelligence from the city of Jericho. And the king of Jericho found out, and he would send men and tell her to give up those spies. Give up those spies that I know are around you. But Rahab would divert the king's men away and instead would hide them in the roof. And this is what she said. This is the important part. In Joshua chapter 2, I'm going to read from verse 8. Before the men lay down, remember she was hiding them. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. and on the earth beneath. This is what she said. All of the city of Jericho knew what God was doing. What was the difference? All of the city of Jericho resisted. Still, they resisted God, except Rahab. And she was also prepared to suffer acutely greatly yes but suffer momentarily to attain what was eternal she had a faith that was oriented to the future her faith was outside what was acceptable in her current world but she knew that the lord was coming and all her acts now reflected on this reality the lord yahweh is coming I know this, and all of her acts reflected this reality. Even though she was a foreigner, her faith put her within the community of God rather than those who were disobedient and perished. Rahab the prostitute was admitted as one of the people of God through her faith. Her faith is what distinguished her and put her in the hall of fame as one of the exemplars of the faith. And this will also lead into next week's passage, but this is point number seven. Faith isn't about the quantity, but quality. Faith isn't about the quantity, but the quality. You may have heard it put in similar variations like, it's about the object of your faith and so on. But this is what J.C. Ryle says about the quantity versus the quality. Of faith. He does not regard the quantity of faith but the quality. He does not measure its degree but its truth. He will not break any bruised reed nor quench any smoking flax. He will never let it be said that any perished at the foot of the cross. There is an example in Matthew chapter 17 that Jesus and his disciples go through. And in Matthew chapter 17, it says, When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and he's suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus replied this way. He said, You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? Jesus was O.G., how long shall I put up with you and bring the boy here to me? And that's when Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that very moment. And then the disciples would find Jesus in a private moment and they would ask Jesus, why couldn't we drive out the demon? And this is what he replies in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. Because you have so little faith, Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. This is a very familiar story for those that grew up in the church. And people think that this is actually about the quantity of faith. All you have to do is have this much faith. That's all you need. This much faith. And if you have this, because that's how big a mustard seed is. If you have this much faith, you could say to this mountain, go over there. And the mountain goes, whoop, and it goes over there. Is that what Jesus is saying, though? Is that what Jesus is saying? Is it about the quantity of faith here that the disciples didn't have? Contrary then to popular belief, This is not about the size or quantity of your faith. The mustard seed was tiny. Why would Jesus focus on the size if it was about size? If it was about size, then the real question isn't about how big or small your faith is. It's really about, do you even have faith at all? That would be the question if it was about quantity. Do you even have faith? is what you would be hearing, because that's a mustard seed amount of faith. But this is about the quality of your faith. That's the question. Who is it that you trust in? Who do you follow? And who do you obey? Who do you trust in, really? Who are you following? And who do you obey? Is it yourself, is it the world, or even the devil, or is it God? Rahab knew that no matter what the world was saying, however hard that they were spinning it in their news media, it's okay, God God did this, sure, it's scary, but we got this, our walls are impenetrable. However hard they were spinning the news about God leading Israel, faith opened her eyes to see God and believe in Him rather than to fall for the spin that the world was giving her. Because faith is our distinguishing, it's our fundamental distinguishing mark from the rest of the world. Rahab, Joshua, Moses, their lives and their faith even challenge us now. Will you live now? according to the faith that you have in Jesus Christ, or will you live according to something else? Because that's the two choices. That's where the contrast puts us to. It's either the temporary, fleeting pleasures that has been rejected by God, or you place your faith in the eternal. You place your faith in Jesus Christ. And I pray for our church. I pray that the people mentioned today will stir up your souls to be people of faith. This is the great gift that God has given us as his children. He has given us the gift of faith. He has given us these exemplars to also follow, to show us that this is a glorious path that God has put us on, an eternal path, a joy unspeakable, How good is our God to us? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who shows us what the quality of our faith is. Our faith is not in this world. Our faith isn't in ourselves. Our faith isn't even in the devil, but you have called us to place our faith in you and in your Son, Jesus Christ. Now help us as we learn about the qualities and character of faith to live in accordance with what you teach us in your word. Let's take this time to pray. And as the word of God has exhorted us, with each point comes a challenge. With each point comes a lesson. And as the Holy Spirit convicts your heart, lift your heart to the Lord, asking that you also could live a life of faith that is pleasing to God. Let's pray.